This is BioBusters, Professors Hanging Out Talking Science, episode number 44, recorded on September 13th, 2021. Hello, folks. You are listening to the podcast about all things science. I'm Dr. Abi Abdallah. I am here with Dr. Fawner and Dr. Keller. How you guys doing today? Lovely Monday. Lovely. It's a Monday. <laughs> but it's almost over, so that's good. It, it is almost over, and then tomorrow's Tuesday. Which is and uh, semester in full swing for everyone? Very. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we're in the middle of microbiology for our uh, MMS students. You're missing out on that, Delbert. So uh, parasitology and... Uh, Fungi? Uh, yep. Okay, already done. Okay. Yeah. Oh, not their favorite, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Uh, they'll still be tested on it. Doesn't really matter. That's fine. Change that. Yeah. We that's had uh, we had some parasitology in one of our cases uh, today in PBL, and that make you happy. Uh, it did. That's for I sure. Bet. It did. <laughs> All righty. Anything else you guys want to discuss on uh, personal right. updates? I suppose. I don't think so. The weather is starting to turn for you guys. It's uh, starting to get a little bit colder down here. We're still in the 80s, but at least we're not in the 90s. It's actually warming up in the next week. It had been cold a bit. Yeah, it's doing pretty well here about an hour ago. So it was around the 80s. I think it cooled off quite a bit. But I think this weekend, though, it's like 84, 85 around here. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what I heard. It's going to be a nice uh, weekend. Nice, nice. Probably one of the last nice weekends of the year. Good. Yeah, I'm ready for fall that. weather and I'm ready and pu- to wear my pumpkin, hoodies. Pumpkin spice latte. Oof. I've already had so many uh, <laughs> pumpkin cream cold brews from Starbucks. Maybe You're tomorrow or Wednesday. Me. I'll you pick up some for me. me and Keller. Never. You would still drink it if I got it for you for free. You would drink it. Come on. You try it. He, that he, is he, a he, silent acknowledgement. <laughs> I would probably share it with somebody else. You know, we're going to do a... Uh, we're going to do a, an upcoming topic on pumpkin spice lattes and the uh, health benefits. I'm going to find the one study that purports one, yeah, the, as the one as, study. But... As long as it's peer reviewed, we're, we're good to go. Yeah, I'm going to struggle with that. So uh, speaking of our episode today, so we've got a fun and interesting, very important birthday for you. We have some coronavirus updates. We've got a couple interesting studies. And sure. do not forget, folks. We have a game segment at the end, and you actually don't have to uh, get the right answer to enter our lottery system. As long as you listen to the episode, listen to the game segment, write us in. It's nice if you get it right, because we'll give you a shout out. But write, 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 write in, and uh, people who guess uh, will we'll throw your name into the lottery for some BioBusters merchandise. Look, Delaware Bot. All of this merch, and he really, really <laughs> wants to give it away. I want to give it away. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's right. And do not it. forget to follow our Instagram page, the mm-hmm. BioBusters podcast. We've got more content on there than just the recorded episodes. Of course. All right. September 13th, 1851. Keller, we've got a fun birthday today. This, this is an awesome birthday. Walter Reed. And many of you probably have heard of Walter Reed, the hospital and, and 
and and the army well this was an actual person walter reed who did uh, just tremendous experiments on infectious diseases uh he he was born september 13th 1851 and died november 22nd 1902 he was a pathologist and a bacteriologist in the u.s army uh, he did experiments in Cuba about yellow fever. He was the one that, that found that yellow fever was transmitted by a mosquito. He was also the one that uh, helped discover the vaccine for yellow fever. Uh, and uh, anyway, in Cuba, they, they had sanitary efforts to eradicate mosquitoes and protect from their bite and, and pretty much eliminated yellow fever from Cuba. Uh, it led to the resumption of and completion of the Panama Canal because the yellow fever completely shut it down. Prior to this, about 10% of the workforce died each year from yellow fever and malaria combined. Uh, Walter Reed's breakthrough in yellow fever research is considered pretty much a, a milestone in biomedicine and opening new vistas of research in humanitarianism and humanitarianism and, uh, and vaccine research as well. Uh, young Walter Reed enrolled at the University of Virginia. He completed his MD degree in 1869, two months before he turned 18. So modern, or I guess an old day Doogie Hauser. Yeah. Can you imagine? He yeah. was, I, I was reading, he was the youngest ever recipient of ever. an MD from the university at 18. Insane. So that's still, that's still the record, right? He's still yeah, considered I, I, the youngest. I, I don't know if it's still the record at the time. It was the record. I actually didn't check to see if it's still the record. Oh, I thought he was still the youngest ever recipient. Yeah. That could be. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, then he enrolled at the New York University's Bellevue Hospital Medical College, Manhattan. He obtained a second MD in 1870. Because <laughs> why know, not? <laughs> one's not enough. <laughs> and after interning at several New York City hospitals, Walter Reed worked for the New York Board of Health until 1875. The Walter Reed Hospital in Washington, D.C. was named in his honor. This is a great birthday. Yeah. And, uh, you know, before uh, 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 we get a lot of emails cor correcting us on like, oh, you know, he, he discovered, you know, it's transmitting Cuba. So there was a Cuban doctor who had uh, uh, presented some paper about, you know, yellow fever and, and, and mosquito connection, but sure. it was Walter yeah. Reed and, and that doctor. And eventually they put together so a team to, uh, to do the actual, like, you know, experiments to prove it. And um, yeah. And yeah, the pandemic and all thing is huge. Like they, they would have outbreaks and it would just shut down and, the U.S. wasn't having it because, you know, we were paying for it. And uh, they sent him over there and they, like, figured this out. And yeah, you did. So just a quick update. This is as of 1995. Graduate from Mount Sinai School of Medicine, 17 years old. Ah. Bal Balamurali Ambadi. Now that's from 95. And this looks like an older article. Okay. But I saw something else like a neurophysician or uh, uh, let's see here. So Walter uh, Walter Reed's record held for 120 some years. Which is impressive. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another one. Uh, yep. Neurologist in Chicago, Dr. Sho Yano. Uh, well, this is saying he got the MD in 21 when he was 21. So that the other person, uh, Balamurali Ambadi, is still, I think, the youngest. 
I wonder if no... the, between the 1860s and the 1990s, the MD requirements probably went from oh, I'm sure they were three to four different. years to seven years now in sure. undergrad, sure. right? Eight mm. years maybe, right? Sure. But keep in mind, there's no hospital named after our, our new friend here. That is correct. <laughs> His one named after Walter. That is correct. He may have Walter. written the record. <laughs> yeah, Walter <laughs> Reed still wins, I guess. Okay. I think he wins. That's a good point. If he I'm, wins the if race. I, if I have a vote, it's for Walter. That's well, right. I just mentioned that, Keller, in case you were ever on Jeopardy. No, that's and interesting. And I will never be. doctor. You can't say Walter Reed anymore. That is true. All right. So, uh, Keller, what do oh. we have? There's some pink things, some blue so things. Some things. So, I pulled up a uh, a blood smear today so if you were to have so for those of us watching on the app on uh, daily motion keller has a picture in this background for those of you listening uh just try to imagine a picture in the background yes imagine a bunch of little red things that look like red blood cells they're round uh they're they're really concave and you can actually see it in some of them here but this is a normal blood smear from a normal, healthy person. We're looking at uh, a neutrophil over here. Neutrophils fight off bacterial infections mainly. That's their main job. And uh, they're the most predominant white blood cell in the circulation. Uh, and you can see a lot of red blood cells, as you should in the blood. And so we do blood smears to look for a variety of diseases, uh, infectious diseases, cancers, uh, to see what type of cell is there. And this is actually a, a healthy, normal individual. So I thought I'd show that today. Fantastic. Cool. You know, I like that because sometimes we, we're always showing the bad things that could happen. We are. It's, it's good to see sometimes what a, the reference is effectively, right? What what do normal things look like? Well, you know, we, we come back to that in our medical school classes. You know, we talk about the pathophysiology and and sometimes forget the, the healthy physiology state. You know, we're always... You know, people come in with with symptoms and disease. Well, that's different than how they would normally look, but that's yeah. very important. Speaking of things under the microscope, keep an eye on our Instagram page. We're going to start doing microscope Mondays. So on Mondays, starting next Monday, we'll have uh, posts about what things look under the microscope. All right. So, Fawner, where are we with the pandemic? All right. So very quickly, because I'll tell you what I'm at with the pandemic. I'm over it. Um, <laughs> worldwide cases at about 225 million. Worldwide deaths sitting at about four and a half million. U.S. cases at 41.8 million and deaths in the U.S. sitting at 678,000. Um, as of today, with the vaccination effort, partially vaccinated at about 9.23%. Um, fully vaccinated at 53.13% and uh, total vaccination, which includes the partials at about 62.5%. And uh, 5.7 billion doses have been provided throughout the world. 42.1% of the world's population has gotten at least one dose. And again, with the low income countries, about 1.9% of people there have received at least one dose. Yeah, and uh, in uh, various COVID updates, as we try to give you every single episode, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, there's a study that came out in the Journal of the American Society of Nephrology, so the study of the mm -hmm. kidneys, 
they found that patients who were the sickest from COVID were, are more likely to experience lingering kidney damage. And uh, it's pretty much, uh, they're seeing it across the board, higher risk of a bunch of important kidney associated events. And, you know, it's a new study that there's not a lot of uh, uh, data yet on that, but uh, it, as more and more uh, time passes, we're seeing more lingering effects in various organs for uh, COVID. Uh, and the kidneys are patients. especially, any kidney disease too is especially frightening because a lot of people aren't even aware that they have an issue until it's yeah. almost too far gone and potentially when it's become exacerbated to end stage kidney disease. So it's, uh, again, kind of silent and yet another thing that we have to worry about with COVID infection, you know, the another disease. thing, right? right. Well, the reason right. I bring it up is because, uh, you know, drive home the idea of, uh, the importance of vaccination. If you haven't gotten your vaccine yet, uh, we know they're safe. We know they're effective. Uh, go get a vaccine. I think what's especially important too here is that even if let's say you are sick, you might have COVID illness for a long period of time, but then you quote unquote, get through it or get over it and you start feeling healthy again. You don't know what the silent damage it's doing to your body. We've talked in the past on this show about, you know, brain fog, persistent brain fog, right. some mental deficits that could horse. occur. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this is yet another system. And of course, a very important system being the kidneys, where even if you have COVID and you have just mild symptoms for a few weeks, you get through it, you don't know in the long run what that could have potentially been doing to your kidneys. So just and the another, longest run I we've had, PSA. yeah, the longest run we've had is a year and a half two years almost, yeah. right? So we, we don't know the five-year effect, the 10-year no. effect of, of this SARS uh, virus. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Yep. Okay. Uh, great. Our, great, I guess. <laughs> so moving Optimism. on to this episode's scientific study, an article published last month in the Journal of Science and Medicine in Sport called Standing is Associated with Insulin Sensitivity in Adults with Metabolic Syndrome. A bunch of, you know, bunch of medical words. Let's, let's break yeah, it down, yeah. right? So insulin sensitivity, effectively, how uh, sensitive does your body respond to uh, insulin? Fauna is frozen. Is he frozen for you? Yeah. yeah. Well, while he's well, while he's frozen, we'll keep talking. That's so, right. <laughs> so... Insulin sensitivity is a good thing, right? Yeah, you want to be sensitive to insulin. So that means okay. if your body produces insulin, you you respond to it. So that is a good thing, insulin sensitivity. All right, and, and so again, the, the title of standing is associated with insulin sensitivity, which is a good thing. Uh -huh. So standing and a good thing in adults with metabolic syndrome. What's that? So metabolic syndrome is effectively a cluster of conditions that increase the risk of heart disease, stroke, okay. diabetes. So they are people who have a combination of things. So high blood pressure, high glucose levels in the body. So high, high uh, blood glucose, high sugar levels, excess fat around the waist, abnormal cholesterol levels, et cetera. So these are people who have either all of these or a, a three or more, a combination of sure. these. 
And that usually puts you at risk of a stroke, of a, a cardiac arrest, of diabetes, et cetera. So that's what's referred to as metabolic syndrome. Okay. Foner just texted me. He said he lost power. So uh, but we'll, yeah. we'll, keep, we'll keep going. When he gets power, I'll come back to us. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's storms going through up here like crazy. Uh, interesting. So, anyway. So well, good. Now I'm going to steal his uh, spotlight. His this segment, right? Yeah. So they looked. They looked at these patients, right? And and they they had a bunch of uh, uh, people who uh, were at risk of metabolic syndrome. So they were people who were slightly obese, high blood pressure, etc. And they have a pretty much uh, sedentary behavior. So they either have jobs that require them to sit at desks all day, sure. like like most of our, yeah, you most, know, we walk around, us, but yeah. most of us sit at desks, right? And um, they looked at uh, the benefits of uh, pretty much the health benefits of regular physical activity, right? Sure. So uh, here we have Fauner again, coming, popping good. back in. Oh, good, Fauner's back. So ga gaps in the knowledge exist in effectively whether these people who have metabolic syndrome and pretty much sit all day, uh, uh, what are the associations between uh, taking a break from sitting, getting up and walking every 30 minutes, maybe you walk for sure. one minute, et cetera, and does that correlate with better outcomes for these patients. Who does it? Well, so they uh, took a bunch of people who were in an age group of 40 to 65. These people uh, had physical inactivity, right? So they sure. sat for more than 10 hours a day, mm. uh, which is between a job and then at home, you're sitting for dinner, sitting on the couch, whatever. You, you, sure. can, you can amass that much, right? They yeah. had a higher BMI level, they had high blood pressure and high glucose levels. So these are people with metabolic syndrome and a sedentary lifestyle. And they hooked up a bunch of machines to them, which was which I thought was interesting, right? So they hooked up a bunch of machines to them that measured uh, how much activity they did, right? So or if they stood up from standing, how long did they stay standing up? Or if they took a walk after standing, did they walk for one minute? They walk for three minutes, et cetera, right? Yeah. And so they looked at that sedentary behavior, breaks in that sedentary behavior, whether they stood or not, or any physical activity that was performed in between. And then they looked at all of these parameters. And uh, I'm not going to bore you with all the uh, 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 technical data, but the bottom sure. line is, even if you have a sedentary lifestyle or a sedentary job, standing even for a minute or so every 30 minutes to an hour is associated with better insulin sensitivity meaning really? that your insulin works better and this was found to be independent of any daily physical activity fitness really? level or overweight so status. Just, uh, one minute in 30 so, okay, so I was looking at the exact timing, right? Okay, yeah. so in this in this particular study, they, they they had observed, okay, so standing is better. It seems that any more time spent standing, the sure. better the insulin sensitivity. Sure, sure. So I was like, okay, is there more to this? Interestingly, also last month, there was another study that came out looking pretty much at the same thing. It came out from the American Journal of Physiology, Endocrinology, and Metabolism. Hmm. 
And they also looked at what would happen in office workers who agreed to break up their sitting time. So they recruited people who sat at their jobs and they had, you know, people who also had a history of obesity. They got base for both of these studies, they got baseline numbers, meaning what are your insulin levels before the study? How sensitive are you to insulin before the study, et cetera, so on and so forth. They split the group, the people into two groups. Half of them went on doing their normal lives as they do as a control. The rest downloaded a smartphone app that alerted you every 30 minutes during the workday to get up and be active for three minutes. You could walk around the hall for three minutes. You could do uh, uh, squats with jumping jacks, whatever. Just be active for three minutes every half an hour. Well, I know what Keller and I are doing uh, tomorrow in his office at... Well, you don't Jumping teach Mark Keller, do you? We'll, You're we'll do bored of I'm afraid to find out what this we'll do, is. We'll do some squats. That'll be fun. So in, in, yeah. in that group, the experimental group who moved while at work, they showed, the study yeah. showed that they have lower fasting blood sugar levels in the morning, meaning wow. when they wake up, their sugar levels are lower. Yep. Their bodies control sugar levels better at night, which is a potential important indicator of metabolic health. They also found that the blood sugar stabilized during the day with fewer spikes and dips, et cetera, so on and so forth. So basically the takeaway from both studies is if you have a job that requires you to sit for prolonged periods of time, or if you have a lifestyle that requires that, you should get up and move every 30 minutes or so, even if it is just for a couple minutes of movement. And interestingly, in the first study, standing, just standing, was enough to change these uh, these numbers. To like, like three minutes out of 30. That's not a lot. That's not a lot. No, <laughs> no a lot. that's not a lot. Yeah, I find myself having to get up anymore, just, just walk around my office or yeah, something. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, what I found interesting in the, in the first study is how, how, how cool they set it up, right? So they had yeah. they had all these machines hooked to people, right? And in one case... Uh, to do like a glucose tolerance test, like how sensitive are you to the insulin? They they had these machines that injected insulin into you, and then after that gave you glucose. Jesus, and dangerous. then measured, yeah, and <laughs> uh, then measured wow. glucose. That must have been a one hell of an IRB. Oh my And then God. measured glucose levels to see if the insulin se- how how sensitive were you to that? I mean, these were in people that were maybe insulin insensitive too. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, really know, bad, idea, was, bad idea. Bad idea. That's a very tight IRB. Yeah, yeah. They they must have the 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 exclusion criteria. By the way, I didn't go over them, and mm. they they were very very, very strict, right? Yeah. So they excluded anybody who had diabetes. They excluded sure. anybody who uh, had exce- excessive alcohol consumption sure. or used cigarettes, tobacco, narcotics, uh, even yeah. like anybody with like depressive or bipolar disorder. Like it was very strict to well quote unquote healthy people who are at risk for metabolic syndrome no definitely an interesting study and uh i i think reinforces the idea of if you've got a job where you sit a lot uh, maybe you should move around a bit every once in a while yes all right moving on very interesting yeah moving on to cool science happening so as much as i hate to admit it this is something in the immunology and microbiology Ooh, fields yeah. not that i want to feed the uh two egos that share the screen with me right now over zoom but 
I'm constantly told and scolded how micro and immunology are so much cooler than well, physiology. from where I'm sitting, you're about one third of the screen. So, well, that you means shrink you a little bit and too. Micro and immuno are two thirds. Can we shrink just him? <laughs> just shrink, him shrink me all you want. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. We'll see if we can do that. <laughs> but um, a recent report actually came out uh, where extremely premature infants um, are at a very high risk sure. for brain damage, as you would imagine. Yeah. But they have now started to isolate and identify possible targets for early treatment of such damage. And actually, it might be an effect or an indicator that is found outside of the area of the brain. And it might be the gut. And as we know, and again, I'll let you guys fill in the gaps or expand upon this if you want to, but uh, the gut microbiome, the bacteria in the gut plays a key role in many things, right? It's a yeah. key aspect of immunology. It affects various systems throughout the body and is actually this research team identified that the overgrowth of a specific bacterium in the GI tract, uh, Klebsiella, is uh, associated with the increased presence of different immune cells and possible development of neurological damage in premature uh, babies. That is interesting. Let me ask you a question, not to sort of tra track us sideways. Let me ask you a question. Is the blood-brain barrier, and for those of us listening who don't know what that is, that's pretty much, your, your brain pretty much has a barrier physiological barrier around it that prevents anything, usually anything from the blood from entering the brain. Is that blood brain barrier less developed in premature babies? Like when, when does that, when does that develop? I, I, in just, yes. I would, just say, yes. I would say yes. I mean, I would okay. say the Absolutely. I don't know the degree uh, and I don't know what the percentage is where it is less impacted or maybe what can, you know, leak through and what it what that would indicate yeah. for neurological damage i'm Go just ahead. thinking of a mechanism of action here right if if these babies because they're premature their gut bacteria is not fully developed and balanced correctly right and then they have more of one or the other and immune cells are out of whack and now they can cross the blood-brain barrier and cause neurological damage so I'm just speculating it, it is on more a possible leaky. mechanism, right? It, it is more leaky and makes the developing brain much more vulnerable to, you know, uh, toxins, drugs, I would imagine, you know, pathogens that a fully developed baby or normally developed baby would not necessarily be more at risk for. Um, think the so barrier escaping t cells that like maybe escape into the brain t cells look you're talking extremely premature infants they don't have a developed t cell response yet mm. it's got to be neutrophils mm. yeah yeah i mean the only thing they have is an, an innate immune response that's it i mean, I mean they, they have... then that's that's not that robust no anyway. they have they have adaptive it's not fully developed i'll i'll agree i'll, I'll agree I, I think that's what you mean it's not fully developed but they but they it's have not... t cells and b cells but they're well, not they have them but they're not yeah they're they're ready? not they're not fully developed I, fully mature sure they, they, they this has to be neutrophil response plus when you talk about club cell so, which is an extracellular bacteria anyway yeah yeah 
I don't know. So I believe it takes about four to five months for the blood brain barrier to become fully mature, to become fully four to five developed. months from well, ask. birth or from yes, it is the, first I know trimester. The blood, birth. No, I know from the birth. blood brain. Yeah, the blood brain barrier is not completely developed mm. at birth, which is why with that zero to four month range, the exposure to you know different toxins, certain chemicals. It poses a much higher risk because sure. the barrier doesn't develop fully. And again, this is give or take. So well, it's not exactly four months. So here's around your, four. Well, here's two thoughts. One, Klebsiella isn't uh, a major neurological bacteria, even okay. in neonates. We we don't talk about it as being one of the, the major causes of, say, neonatal meningitis, where the bugs are crossing the blood-brain barrier and causing meningitis. So um the fact that that's associated with with again, I'm going to have to go with neutrophils uh, is pretty interesting. So it's it's definitely a shift in both immune systems and the microbiome. When were they looking at these babies? Well, that's a very when, good question. Yeah. I yeah, I don't. No, I I, I, I think I saw, or, No, I think I saw that piece of data. It was uh, 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 they looked at sixty before pre- twenty eight weeks. Yeah, right? sixty premature infants born before twenty eight weeks of gestation and weighing less than one kilogram. But they looked at them. Their their response immediately. And they looked at the response from several weeks or several months okay. from that. Okay. Right. Yeah. And they used what uh, RNA sequencing, right, uh, to look at the microbiome. That was their main method for example. I mean, twenty-eight weeks of gestation. That's 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 a a full two months early, right? Yeah, yeah. And they quantified brain injury. I believe Uh, they looked at not only blood samples but also EEG, so electroencephalogram recordings to measure brain waves, and then they also took a few MRIs uh, scans of the brains. That that is that is definitely an interesting study you found. Now. and again, I, I don't know if maybe maybe you guys could answer this. Maybe there could be other, because it says there's a shift, right? The, uh, some shifts in one direction or another with the immune system in the microbiome could induce negative effects. Here, they only found Klebsiella, but I would imagine maybe other pathogens could also maybe predispose or worsen the degree of brain damage sure. in premature babies. Probably. Yeah, you know, the microbiome, so for the longest time, it, it wasn't really known that we knew that microbiomes existed, but it wasn't known that there was a connection between a microbiome and re- the training of the immune response. Mm-hmm. And now we fully understand that immune responses are fully trained at mucosal surfaces, meaning anywhere from uh, uh, anywhere from your mouth all the way through uh, stomach, intestine to the outside, mm-hmm. right? Mucosal surfaces and all of the microbiome that lives there, the immune response is truly trained there. It doesn't necessarily fully develop there, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, thymus for T cells, bone marrow for B cells, you know, all white blood cells, the other white blood cells come out of the blood, etc. But without the microbiome, you do not get a fully uh, a robust, fully active, fully trained, fully developed immune response. And well, I think can- something else that sometimes they say gut microbiome and the gut microbiota, and a lot of people might think, you know, 
bacterial microorganisms, but the gut microbiome also encompasses everything. viruses, uh-huh. fungi, parasites, fungi, everything, parasites. It's a whole collection of, of everything yeah, with everything. bacteria. So there are a lot of factors that could oh, be yeah. oh, at, yeah. at play people, there. People ton. tend to think of bacteria alone, but you know, there's parasites on eyebrows, right? There, you, mm-hmm. you can't see them, but you know, they, parasites they sit on the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> there's you, know, you can have you, you can have amoeba as part of the gi yeah, floor there's, candida. there's candida yeah there's you know there's everything that lives in and Eyebrows. on you yeah 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 no you should maybe, maybe that'll be our first microscope uh, monday I'm, I'm gonna try to see i would appreciate oh, there we go. i'm gonna try to see if i can get an image of that uh, you don't have to do pathogens you could always do uh, sure. anything yeah, anything yeah, on yeah, a microscope yeah. would be pretty cool uh-huh uh-huh we were at the science center this weekend with the kids. Oh, oh that's yeah? cool. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a good time. Oh, that's time. a nice one. I like that one. It's very good. I haven't good. been there in decades. And no, they have no, no, it from when I was a kid. No, Completely no. redone. Didn't you and I go down for like an event with Teal? No, Set up a table didn't. for Teal College? Or was that me? No, and no. The physics guy. It, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. It was you, you and there. Eugene, the yeah, physics guy. Yeah, or Hecking. I, 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 I'm sorry. I don't remember his name. I'm sure he doesn't listen either. <laughs> Maybe he should. Maybe this will get him listening. Yeah. But right. yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry. So any anything interesting uh, at the Science Center? Science? Of course. <laughs> We got to play. We, we 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 did a little space thing. We got to play with water. We looked at little baby turtles and oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and then they have the, the body. We watched uh, a a nice lady give a, a presentation on the elementary. It's it's elementary Watson was the oh okay, that's and it was cool. about how foods digested. Sure, sure. I got them all right. I just want you to know. <laughs> okay, we'll keep Matthew out. You know, we just, because the Are kids you were, smarter than the kids, a the kids, like, What's the show? Are you smarter I, than a I don't want to go watch the show. <laughs> so the kids didn't want to watch this at all. So I, the fact that they really enjoyed it, which is good. Uh, and then they had a little robotics place. And they've got um, oh the Legos. We were there for a while. Earthquake Legos. Uh, maybe we should try to get uh, someone from there on our show. Sure, or maybe you should just go and see what it's like and play around it's a, there. Yeah, it's We're gonna go down again. But no, I actually, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I will, I will try to have someone come should. on our show and talk about public uh, outreach for science. I think that'll be great. I think it's really important. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, a, a, an old grad school friend of mine does a lot of good work in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I remember. Um, you I need to reach to back out. Do that once again. Maybe we can set up. Uh, I'll check with his schedule. Maybe we can set up for like October, end of September. Yeah, I let's, let's get, let's get, get them forward on the show. to it, listeners Absolutely. and Absolutely. watchers. All right. So with that, we come to the tail end, but important end of our uh, podcast. Again, remember, if you email us, uh, we will put your name in a draw to win some BioBusters merch. Keller, take it away. So I have been instructed to go a little easier now. So uh, this I, is, I like this, remember this is this is for fun, Keller. This is not for, for fun. It's not. It's, it's not, not for the classroom. Police, Gotta get Google out of the it. classroom, man. Everybody, Google the answer. It's Gotta get out of the classroom. Man. All right, time for the game segment. Uh, we're going to present a, a scientific or medical scenario. Please email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. 
to win some fabulous merchandise. We will choose our winner uh, randomly from those who have correct responses. Or any responses. I guess any response right now. So we have in the last riddle, we had a 35-year-old female who had a diffuse rash, meaning a rash just spread all over her legs everywhere and started having trouble breathing. She had severe abdominal pain, so severe stomach pain for several days leading up to these symptoms. She was hypertensive, so she had high blood pressure. She was in the hospital. She had acute respiratory distress syndrome. I don't think there's another way to define that. So she uh, died several hours later. Postmortem tests showed that she was anemic, so she had low red blood cells and low platelets in her blood. And it was noted that many small blood clots were scattered throughout her organs, and that's what led to the organ failure. Uh, her condition was caused by autoantibodies to lipids. And this week's questions were, what disease did she likely die from? And what do these antibodies cause in the body? And Rick wrote in, hey, guys, good hearing from you. Uh, not sure if you were getting at lupus or not. It's not lupus. I, I want to be house. It's not lupus. <laughs> but it sounded like that. Actually, I thought of antiphospholipid syndrome. Good, Rick. Close. That is typically in pregnancy. They are autoantibodies. Let me tell you that we're talking about Asherson syndrome, which you can see on the raredisease.org from the NIH. Asherson syndrome is extremely rare autoimmune disorder characterized by the development of blood clots. So that's what we were looking at, blood clots in organs. Uh, and, and usually it can be brought on by infections, immunizations. There's a lot of precipitating um, events that can lead to this. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's particularly common among patients with antiphospholipid syndrome. This is where we make antibodies to our own lipids. Pretty, it, it can be a pretty severe disease. Uh, and so that was the, uh, the disease from last week. So Rick, I think you've, you've got enough bling. So we'll just save it for somebody else. If you don't mind or not and this week this week's this week i'm i'm I, I was brought in different directions so your riddle for this week is a 21 year old goes camping and is drinking water from a river uh and two weeks later develops abdominal pain smelly fatty greasy mushy diarrhea very smelly trust me <laughs> Uh, and he was diagnosed with a parasite. So what do they have? Boom will be the answer <laughs> next episode. Thank you. What Dr. is that parasite? What is, is that parasite? You think you know the answer to this question. Please write us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. And if you follow us on Instagram and you want to guess there, just uh, send us a message in our DMs. And as long as we get your answer, we'll put your name in the draw. All right. Nice, nice, simple, nice, simple case. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you. All right. That is our show for today. You can email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram page, subscribe and share our podcast. You can find us 
everywhere you get your podcasts iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon Music, and you can find these videos on Daily Motion. We have links to all of these in the show notes. Please follow and share. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.